Are you listening? And a big welcome back to the Endurance Hour podcast, episode 366, back alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater. I'm Dave Erickson. So glad to have you with us this week. And we've got some great questions, great topics, and a couple of discount codes to share with you. We begin with uh, questions from inside the T2 Endurance Group on Facebook from Andres. Says, good day. Question for the group. What are the signs of overtraining and needing an additional day off to recover? Uh, my first impression is you are just have dragging your ass. You are tired as heck, and you just you just know you need some time off. What's uh, what's the real answer, Coach? Well, first of all, I think if you're questioning whether you need a day off, then you definitely need a day off. So you don't even have to ask your coach or ask your friends or family if you're feeling like you need a day off. Take a day off. Um, it's only going to probably provide the rest that you need, and it will maybe limit the impact if you feel like you are overtraining. So for someone who probably has overtrained before, you know, like I say probably because back in the early days in the 90s when I started, you know, overtraining like wasn't really a thing that you talked about. And I'm pretty sure after my very first Ironman in 1997, I didn't take a break because I came back to Colorado and I just started biking again because all my friends were biking in the fall getting ready for the Colorado State University cycling team which was kind of a fall winter spring type of training in their sport and so I just started riding again but my body and mind didn't want to I was my muscles were sore for months after Ironman and I, I got to the point where about two months after that I was really chronically sick like I felt like I had chronic fatigue fatigue syndrome. I had no energy. My resting heart rate from sitting was like 70 and I'd stand up and when it would go to 140. So again, number one, that's definitely an indicator that I was overtrained. And again, back in 1997, again, that was just wasn't a term that you, you knew about and you thought about, but I know it definitely happened to me because I was sick for about, about six months after that. I couldn't train at all. I could barely walk around the block. I was, I just had absolutely no energy. So to really answer your question, if you need if you need a break, take it. But typical signs are chronically sore muscles. Maybe you're sick and it just won't go away, and you just keep getting one infection after another because um, your immune system's low and you, your body just needs a break. Or maybe you're someone who gets injuries a lot and you just keep getting one injury after another because you're not allowing your body to have a break. Other signs and symptoms include decreased appetite where like your training volume's really high, but you just have no interest in maybe food, your appetite's low, so you're not giving your body the nutrients it needs to help recover. And also like irritability, maybe depression, um, kind of things like that. So there's definitely a multitude of signs and symptoms. Here's something I found real easy bullet points, lifestyle related signs of overtraining. So prolonged general fatigue, increase in tension, depression, anger, or confusion. Think about that during the day. Are you more irritable? Inability to relax. Poor quality sleep is an obvious one. The lack of energy, decreased motivation, moodiness. Uh, and I like this one right here. Not feeling joy from things that were once enjoyable. So if you're overtraining, you're taking away from your everyday lifestyle. And this should be a compliment to your lifestyle, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, and, and back, you know, my little story that I told is I was, I knew I was forcing myself to ride 
and I, and then I had just no energy, no speed, no power. It didn't have a power meter, but I just had nothing. I was depleted, but yet I was forcing myself to do it. And then, um, I got on this binge of eating just the most non-nutrient dense foods. And I put on a lot of weight and that made me more irritable. And so I learned a lot. It was a great experience in the end, even though it, it did lead to a little bit of depression in the end, it was a great experience. And, and it was really one of the reasons I became a coach because I started doing a lot more research and how to train and recover. And I just, you know, had this now all this knowledge that I started helping people, um, overcome some issues that I struggled with overcoming and that kind of led into my coaching because I was overtrained. Great question. Thank you so much. And I hope uh, some of those things helped you guys out with uh, just if you've took one way, one nugget of that away from there, then good. Uh, Katie writes, my goggles broke in the middle of an open water swim the other day. I have no experience with this. What do you do in a race when this happens? And it has happened to me. Wendy, do you have an answer? Um, if something like that happened to me, I've had goggles and my cap knocked off. I've never lost my goggles if they've knocked off. I've just, I just put them back on. They've never broken in an open water swim. And I asked her, I followed up with Katie and asked how they broke. And I think I, I recall it was just the strap that broke. Um, in a race setting, I wouldn't stop. I mean, I would just keep going. I know how to swim with eyes closed. I know how to sight that kind of keeps me on track if I'm swimming with the eyes closed because I've swam without goggles in the pool before. Mm -hmm. So I recommend anyone out there that just wants to get experience swimming without goggles in a race setting is to, it starts in the pool, do it in training. So you're more prepared and experienced to, to know what that's going to feel like. The chlorine feels different than lake water. But like I said, it almost helps someone in my opinion sight more frequently and more often than they normally would because every time they sight they're going to open their eyes and see where they're going as well as um just do it more frequently because they're not opening their eyes in the water yeah i know how you know putting your eyes underwater in chlorine can be a, be a little bit challenging might sting but try it in salt water my only experience and it was horrible it was uh at hanu 70.3 in in hawaii and it was a two-lap swim you know it's a half but it was a two-lap swim and somehow um coming in for the first lap with some of the waves i think i, I tumbled or i rolled somehow didn't realize it my gog i my goggles were off i think it, mm -hmm. I, I realized that after i got out of the water i would have known it beforehand but maybe when i was coming up out of the water i you know took them off to look and then they were gone and i had to do the second lap without goggles and it was the worst because it was it stung in that salt water it was the worst my eyes were bloodshot and you know the rest of the race was just um, not as enjoyable as it could have been i don't know what to say with that one that one's when you just grin and bear it there are no options you have a long day still to go so you just you know go with it and just force your way through and once you get out of transit out of uh, the water just get some clean water as much as possible and just just wash your eyes flush them out as much as possible but that's my only experience yeah and and, you know, something that she could do is just is practice swimming without goggles in the open water swims that she's doing in her training. That's an option. I also, one of my first half, it was one of my first half Ironmans. It was my second one, actually. Um, the water was so cold that I swam pretty much with my head out of the water for 1.2 miles. Ooh. So, again, swimming with your head out of the water is also an option if you don't want to put your face in the water. What if, you know, maybe you're someone whose goggles fell off and you were in contacts. 
that you don't want to risk losing your contacts because you need them for the remainder of the race. So I actually have a specific drill called head out of the water drill, but you can swim with your head out of the water, maybe do breaststroke. Breaststroke is a stroke that I like to use to teach someone some skills of breathing. Mm -hmm. And so that allows you to be able to sight and, and just at least make forward progress as well as, you know, going on your back every now and then to allow your, allow your eyes to be open if you don't want to open them under the water, which I wouldn't, if I was in open water, I wouldn't want to open my eyes. So Mm -hmm. there's a few options. I think you just have to think about it and plan ahead and just experience it. So you know how you're going to handle it in your mind of what's going to happen. On that note, a little uh, break here with a discount code based on a piece of equipment I just received. Uh, in February, I was contacted by uh, a company I'd never heard of before called Sumar Po, S-U-M-A-R-P-O, and they produce wetsuits. They have um, tri-kits. They also have compression, some just regular accessories in terms of goggles or uh, sunglasses and, and the like, but swimsuits or wetsuits are the big thing. And they claim to be the world's first 100% eco-friendly triathlon wetsuit provider. Uh, their goal, of course, they say here, they've done their best to guarantee top performance as well as the highest quality fabrics to offer you the fastest and most flexible triathlon wetsuits on the planet. And they got four of them for men and women. And uh, so I looked at this and I go, okay, well, this is early on in the, in this, in the tri-season. I go, well, I'll try it because, you know, always good to have an extra wetsuit. And mine were kind of tight begin the year and so I got their victory one this is like their high level maximum buoyancy uh great insulation and 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 so on so I got a large and I tried it out just got it last week or two weeks ago so I finally had a chance to go and try it in the I tried it in the pool at the YMCA and I was pleasantly surprised on how comfortable it was and flexible was in my shoulders and my chest which was my issue of breathing uh in recent triathlons and so I'm very happy with it. But a couple of downsides to this one, and I don't know why, the wrists were really tight. I had taken my watch off to put it on. That's how tight the wrists were, even though it was a, the perfect size everywhere else. And mm-hmm. they say that's because they, they make sure that there's um, no leakage at all in either direction. So I got it on, but that was one of my issues with it. Second one was uh, the water got into the neck, but someone else put, helped me put it on. So I think that might be they didn't put it tight enough. Uh, other than that, it was a, a pretty decent wetsuit. And I wanted to share with you a discount code. If you're interested, I'm not, that's not like I, I'm getting a lot out of this or anything because I got, it's got a free wetsuit and I got to try it and I gave them a video review of it on the YouTube channel on Endurance Hour. But if you put Dave15, you can get 15% off anything on their website. Dave15 on sumarpo.com. That's all I want to say about it. Um, you can see my video demonstration on it on our YouTube channel right now. But that's it. That's all I want to say. Have you been That's approached cool. by, uh, besides Blue 70, what other wetsuits have you used? Any branded, branded wetsuits? In, in my, uh, just in my whole life of, of competing, I've used Aquasphere, mm. Xterra. Xterra was a wetsuit that I borrowed. Aquasphere was one that we were sponsored when, we were, when I was on Team Timex one year. And Blue 70 has been my choice even before I partnered with them. Blue 70 was always my choice. I just like the fit, the comfort, the ease of getting it on and off. The sizing mm-hmm. seems to work for me. And so that's just something I've always worn for years and years. I've, I've had great experience with my Blue 72, and I still have it. In fact, I bought a used Blue 70 size large, which is the same as this uh, new wetsuit I have, size large. But I haven't tried it on yet. And I got that one 
uh, a couple weeks before I, this one arrived. So I paid a friend of mine for a used one just so I could have a size large uh, nice. for some of the races. So now I have a couple things to work with. And I've always loved the Blue 70. I love the way it looks. I love their color mm-hmm. schemes. Uh, I use their goggles exclusively. So anyhow, don't you, uh, what kind of discounts do we have in the newsletter when it comes to swim stuff? Um, 30% off on Blue 70, or on Blue 70 apparel, wetsuits, goggles. Okay. 40% off if no one's ever bought from them before, they can get their first purchase for 40% off. So and that's... then and then future purchases for 30. So that's inside the newsletter. So sign up for our newsletter yeah. by going to endurancehour.com. You'll see it's obvious and how you can sign up. And then uh, you'll get these discounts on a weekly basis of not only a recap of the podcast, some other info information, whether it's training, some articles, links to videos, and all of the discounts and partnerships we have. And we'll include this uh, Sumarpo discount code as well. All right. Excellent. Uh, next question here. And I like this question because I think that I know the answer. The person probably knows the answer as well. And that is Sarah needs some advice. She's very torn if she should sign up for her first half Ironman next year. She's a runner mainly. She's done some long races in a half marathon recently. She's done a lot of sprints. She's an RN and works four to five days a week. I know it's possible if I set my mind to it. Just also know that it will be a lot of work to take on. And I still want time to enjoy activities with my friends and family. Any thoughts are appreciated. Thank you. My first take she's going to sign up. She needs to sign up. She can do it because she's already confident that she can, even though she's got a busy schedule. Yeah. I mean, I think she should, there's no harm except money and monetary value in signing up for an event. It gives you direction. It gives you a goal. It gives you focus. And then as you're preparing for it, if life gets in the way and you have to postpone it, um, defer it, not do it, that's okay too. I mean, it's no harm in, in not doing something that you're, that you originally committed to if, if life changes, because when it comes to endurance sports and the putting in the training process, it's really important that it fits into your current lifestyle and you shouldn't have to change the things you enjoy doing in your current lifestyle. Um, just to train for an event, you may have to modify some things a little bit, modify the time you, you put into other activities, especially like physical activities um, if you do other sports, um, if you're going to introduce more of the swim, bike, run, multi-sport lifestyle into your training, but it's definitely doable. Um, my husband's a nurse, so I understand the nursing schedule. Mm-hmm. Some some nurses work three 12-hour shifts. Some nurses work three days in a row. Some they do one day on, one day off. Some they do two days on, two days off. So it's a, it's a very it's a varied schedule. If she works four to five days a week, I suspect that she's working eight to ten hour days. And so it's just managing your time during your work days that maybe you can fit in a 30 to 60 minute workout before work. I know after work, you're probably exhausted. And then try to, on your days off work, try to schedule those longer rides because that's usually the accumulation of time. And you're not, it's not like you're doing this 12 months out of the year. So if you're going to train for a half Ironman, maybe your focus on it is anywhere between, you know, 12, 16 up to 24 weeks. And, and you're not going to be doing, you know, those, those two, three, four hour rides until you approach, you know, that eight to 12 weeks out. So it's just really getting a mindset of, of what the plan is going to look like. And again, it should fit in your lifestyle. You don't have to train like other people do. 
So with that said, do you know who this girl is? Have you worked with her? No. Okay. So it's is it Sarah? Yeah. So okay, Sarah, we've got a number of half Ironman training plans. We've got a beginner plan, which is 16 weeks, an advanced plan, which is you're not ready for that yet, which is 12 weeks, a couch triathlon, uh, 70.3 plan, 24 weeks. Now she's done half marathon. She's done a number of sprints. Which of these uh, plans would you suggest? And she can get these on training peaks. Uh, which of these would you suggest to her? Couch two um, or the beginner? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that's a tough one. The beginner's 24 weeks. The couch two is 16 weeks. And the biggest difference is the beginner one just starts at a slower progression. Each training plan we have, we actually made, created a video, and we tell you what you should anticipate um, the first week. And so if you're not up to you know a 90-minute ride, an hour run, and maybe a, a 1K swim the first week, then you shouldn't do the beginner the beginner plan start with the couch two plan so you can build up um your volume before you get to 16 weeks out because it starts 20 24 weeks out and again most of our plans are going to range anywhere starting at maybe four to six hours in the beginning and build up to eight to 12 hours depending on the plan the last you know the second half of each plan so It'll just give you an, an idea of what your time commitment is in the beginning and then how it progresses throughout the course of the number of weeks it is. Yeah, on trainingpeaks.com under Wendy's um, profile, you see all the plans. And under this Couch to Half Ironman training plan, which has the coaching videos, uh, it shows here that at the end of eight weeks, you should be comfortable running at a 5K or 10K event at 16 weeks. You should be able comfortable doing an Olympic and so on. So there's, it really is outlined here on what to expect, where you should be, and uh, I'll, I'll have some bonuses there. So it's, it's really well outlined before you even have to buy it. Yeah. Okay. There we go, Sarah. That should help you out, I think, quite a bit. Uh, next one up here. This is from Mary. Mary needs help with bikes. She's eight weeks out from her half. And she's starting to panic about making the bike cutoff. I'm struggling to get faster on the bike. I'm slow. I've not really uh, significantly improved my bike speed during training. And I know I need to get the average up or risk getting DNF'd on the bike. What are your, some of your tips for getting faster on the bike? First part of your answer is going to be depends. <laughs> it really does depend. So for those who aren't sure, generally, I believe... You have an hour and 10 minutes to complete 1.2 miles and a half. And then I think you have four, maybe four and a half hours to complete the bike um, cutoff. And again, if you bank some time, let's say the swim only takes you 30 minutes, well, then you're going to have more time to use that leftover time for the bike before you, before you get on the run. So, you know, reasons that athletes could be slow on the bike it could just be an equipment thing how old's your bike is it a road bike is it a tri bike is it a mountain bike you know is it a gravel bike and do you have aero bars on it or are you riding a road frame without aero bars because the aero bars can make you faster the position can make you faster and you know what kind of terrain are you riding on are you riding on really hilly terrain and not necessarily mindful that hills are going to make your overall average speed slower. And so, you know, you want to consider those factors when it comes to speed. 
And, you know, she is eight weeks out. So this is the time in her training where she is going to get race specific intensity. And, you know, you want to make sure you're following proper intensity zones um, based on your fitness. So you, you are making those, um, those adaptations and you're progressing forward with your training. Meaning, are you, are you doing long rides, interval rides, hill rides, tempo rides, threshold rides? There's, there's a lot of terminology in there, but it's important that you're following a progressive training plan with frequency, duration, and intensity to maximize your results and training at the proper intensity to get faster. So here are your numbers. Five hours and 30 minutes after the swim starts, you must make the cutoff. And the mm-hmm. swim cutoff is an hour and 10 minutes, which means you have four hours and 20 minutes to make the, buck, the bike cutoff if you were to take the full hour and 10 minutes. But you have five and a half hours from, from the time the gun goes off or the, the time you begin the race, which means if you were to ride just under 13 miles per hour, you will make the cutoff. 12.92 is four hours and 20 minutes. So you're going to have to go at least 13 miles per hour if you took the whole hour and 10 minutes the swim which I don't know how heli this course is for her but that's a, a very doable speed to bike at almost any basically almost any fitness level don't you think for Mary I think so I mean I just coached an athlete who did a triathlon her swim was a little bit slower than we anticipated but she still made this it wasn't an official a world triathlon corporation it was a half ironman but it wasn't official wtc but they had the same time cutoffs Mm -hmm. so she was a little bit slower than we anticipated on the on the swim and then the transition times they add up yep and she took four hours and 25 minutes on the bike which the bike had 4,500 feet of elevation gain so wow that was a yeah, that was a decent bike for that amount of elevation Where gain. Where was this? This was at Donner Lake. Oh my goodness, in that's Tahoe, huge. In Tahoe. Oh, Tahoe, okay. Yeah, so that's a that's a pretty big bike ride, especially for more of a beginner athlete, but that's where she lives. Mm-hmm. And then the run, because she just took a little longer on the swim, a little bit longer on the bike, but the bike was pretty close to what we thought. Um, it was two loops of the run, and she ended up finishing but she finished a few minutes over the overall time that she was allowed, which I think was eight hours or eight and a half hours. And so she still finished. And so I wanted to throw that out there because again, there's a lot of factors involved in how fast you're going to be on the bike. And at the same time, you know, ultimately it's your race. Um, finish if you can, if, if for some reason you don't make the bike cut off, then you know, try to continue on as far as you can. And, and do your own thing. WTC is eight and a half hours, so that might be very similar for her half yeah. distance. Yeah. Okay. All right, Mary, hope that helps, and you can uh, take some of those tips to work on your bike speed in the meantime, but also know those numbers and how you can juggle with your swim time transition and still have a whole five and a half hours to get to the end of the bike. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just a tough one to not know her current training plan for the half and her bike pedaling technique and what bike she's riding and and is she training by effort, power, pace. You know, there's just a lot of factors involved that you can't really answer directly how she personally should get faster other than the things I already described. 
And here's the next transition to another topic of, of products that I reviewed. And this was something I bought on my own. It's a bit spendy, but it was well worth it and uh, was inspired or motivated based on uh, a car driving by me a little faster and too close for comfort uh, a week and a half ago. So I was, did I tell you this story already? I know I told Roger this no. story. Okay. So two weeks ago, I guess it might have been, or less than two weeks ago, I'm riding in the wind, aero position, 17 miles per hour, not a big deal, but it's, it's, and I was on a smooth road. These are just the factors. And I'm just on the far right side of the road, just going my, my business, I know where I am, and all of a sudden, a uh, truck comes by me, and I swear to God, I could have put my arm out, and I would have hit, the truck would have hit my arm. That's how close the guy was. Did not, just, did not make any effort to go around me, stay the course, didn't change his speed. And I was like, are you effing kidding me? So mm-hmm. I, I watched and watched. I knew I know where this road goes, and I, I watched, and he kind of goes over a little hill, down, and I know where this spot is, but I lost sight of him. So I'm about a mile from that spot where I lost sight of him. So I get down there, make this little S corner, and I see that he's pulled off into this gravel parking lot next to a, a pizza place. So I loop back around because I'm still shaking my head, and I'm kind of like, Are you, I can't believe how close this guy can. It really ruined my day. It mm-hmm. ruined my day. And so I, I pulled over and I and I I said to him, he the older guy, he's got to be sixty five plus. Uh, he comes out like a little grin on his face. It's like he's you know having a nice little Sunday stroll. Uh-huh. His wife gets out of the side of the other door. It's just a, a white pickup truck with a canopy. And uh, I said, "Excuse me, sir, did you just come down that road? Because I want to make sure that I'm talking to the right person, which I'm pretty sure I was." I said, "You you just come down that road?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, uh, "Did you see me when you drove down that road? You you nearly hit me. You." You nearly hit me. He goes, um, and there may be one more sentence in between. Did you see uh-huh. me? You drive down that road. Did you drive down that road? Uh, did you see me? Uh, yeah. I said, you, yeah. He said, yes, I saw you. And I go, do you realize how close you came to hitting me? And he kind of like, what? I said, and he goes, uh, I didn't hit you, did I? With a smile on his face. Like, kind of like, I didn't oh hit gosh. you, though. Did, I didn't hit you, though, did I? I didn't hit you, did I? And wow. I go, and I... Seriously, my mouth open, I'm shaking, my head, plus I'm also a little bit uh, adrenaline going, and uh-huh. I, I usually stutter when I get excited. And so I go, you did, I'm, I'm glad you didn't hit me. Thank God you didn't hit me for my wife and kids. My, I, said, I said, thank God, I'm glad you didn't hit me. Thank God for my wife and kids that you didn't hit me. Uh-huh. And he, he didn't say anything else. He's like, he's kind of still whatever. I go... I said, you gotta, you gotta next time slow down or, or you know move around, and no, no comments. And wow. I'm like, what the hell? And so I'm still like frazzled, and I kind of and just ride off in the little gravel and get back in the road and, and go. And uh-huh. I only went for another couple of miles, and I turned around because I was pissed. Came back, and I thought, because I'm just my, I'm frazzled. I took a picture of his license plate, and I made a little video for my own documentation. Just like this just happened. No one's ever seen that. I just put in my own documentation. And I was like, oh, my God. And I told a friend of mine, told Roger. And he goes, uh, you got to get uh, – I, I have a blinking light on the back of my bike on purpose for something like this. I already had one on the day. Mm-hmm. and But this is a, just a blinking light, which I got earlier in the year because I saw someone riding going, this is a good idea. So I told Roger that. And he goes, you got to get this uh, this uh, other computer bike thing. And it was called a Fly 6 or a Fly 12, which I had an old version of. So I went online, looked at it, and then he goes – you should get the Garmin Varia or Varia. I forget how you mm-hmm. pronounce it. It's a bicycle radar with ca- camera, taillight, and continuous recording for vehicle detection. 
So I immediately, oh, wow. I immediately bought this. It syncs with my Garmin 520 something, whatever the computer is that reads my power and all that stuff. It syncs with it, and on the on the on your Garmin readout computer, it has uh, some sensors that show it detects it syncs up Bluetooth. It shows a little dot of a car closing in on you, and it records it. So if you had an accident, yeah, buddy, I love you too. My son <laughs> just randomly says these things. Um, so I made a video on this to demonstrate how it works. Uh-huh. But on your Garmin thing, there's a little dot in the bottom right-hand corner that kind of gets closer and closer to the upper right-hand corner of the screen, which is you. And it gets redder as a car approaches. So you don't have to look behind you. So you can look down and see this on your computer that a car is approaching. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes some beeping sounds too. And then it's green when the car passes you. So I bought this, got it a couple of days ago, maybe three, four days ago, made a video on the day. And it, it's amazing, life-changing in terms of being aware of cars coming up behind you. Plus, oh, it, has yeah. a, plus it has a blinking light and it records nice. and it, it notifies you without you having to look behind you. So the first couple of times I saw this, I put my arm, I always usually put my arm out to let, hey, because I'm on country roads. Hey, I'm just right. up here. You know, I know right. you're back there, you know, a couple, uh, 50 yards, but I'm up here. And they usually go around. And this is awesome. So I made a video of it. It's a pretty good demonstration. It's a Garmin Varia RCT 715. It's on the YouTube uh-huh. channel. And I bought it 340 bucks or 50 bucks. And this was on sale for 16% off on Amazon. I'm, I wish I would have got this earlier in the year. I remember someone telling me about it. I go, oh, I don't want to. That seems expensive and unnecessary. Because right. if I have a blink, blinking light, people are going to see me. But this is, has that and the recording. You know, and here's the thing, like people could see you and then they could look down at their phone or sure, something like that. Sure. So they may be aware that you're there and then they get a notification that they have a text or a phone call Yeah. and, and, and then they pay attention to that and they're not paying attention. Oh yeah. There's a rider right there. I know I'm speaking to the choir here. Everyone who's listening knows what it's like to be on the road in, in a semi or a truck or a car doesn't change direction, doesn't change speed, and is right next to you. Mm-hmm. I was just so upset that the guy could have hit me, and his reaction of "I didn't hit you, though, did I?" It's like, are you F- seriously? That's what that's what your reaction is. Not yeah. like I'm sorry, didn't realize I was that close. I'll, right. I'll, I'll slow down next time. Anything, mm-hmm. and just like a casual day, he's gonna go to the restaurant, go to have a pizza with his wife. Right? Seriously, you were that unaware that I'm riding a 20, 20 pound bicycle going twenty miles an hour. And you're going to go buy me in your pickup truck. Oh, just it's, I mean, we've all had that. I was just extra pissed that day. And it's like, I don't care how much this thing, this could have been a thousand dollar camera. I would have bought it that day. I was so upset. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and just like <laughs> my question is I would be speechless if that was the reaction someone gave me. I'd be like, I, I wouldn't even know what to say. I'd be like, I want to get away from this person. Thank God for my wife and kids. You didn't hit me. Those are my yeah. words. Thank God for my wife and kids that you didn't hit me. Because I wanted to put it in perspective that I'm not just a guy riding a bicycle. Mm-hmm. I'm a husband and a father, and, I, and I, I have a life, and I'm just a guy on a bicycle, and you're in a 3,000-pound vehicle going by me mm-hmm. at 25, 25, 35 miles per hour. I know. We've all been there. That's I'm just fired up. Okay. Anyways, see my video. It's on Amazon. It's I'm not sponsored by it. I just want to let you know this is a safety thing that goes beyond just the uh, the blinking light. 
it, it is it's a Garmin related product, so that's the only caveat, I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Take a deep breath, Dave. All right. No, I mean, thanks for sharing your story because it's just going to help others um, potentially get this product or just be, again, more aware of what's going on around them. Here's something that's uh, Winnie can absolutely speak of. This is uh, Andres again. Andres, am I saying his right name right? Andres. Yeah. Uh, would substituting a trail run for my long run benefit my training? Because he's currently training for a 70.3. So substituting a trail run for his long run benefit training. I got to say yes. Well, well, yeah, but you know, let, let's go to, let's talk about what a long run is. A long, a long run is your longest run of the week. If you're training for 70.3 or an Ironman, your long run is going to be maybe 90 minutes to two and a half hours up to three hours. So when you're doing a long run, you can do it on the trail or do it on, on the road. Just take into account that most trails that I run on are hilly. So there's elevation and, and my pace is slower. So in a 90-minute trail run, I may get eight miles versus a 90-minute road run where I might get 10 or 11 miles. And I think when you're just starting to develop, you know, build up long run distance or time, doing them on the trails is actually better for you than doing them on the road. Getting on soft surface, when you're on soft surface, it's just better for your body and longevity in the sport, less injuries. And then usually, again, like I said, trails usually have a lot more elevation gain or loss than your typical road run will. And so you can work on technique, driving your knees forward on the uphills, um, bringing your heel up to butt on the downhills. You work on your endurance and strength. You could also do threshold speed and tempo workouts on the trails if you train by effort or heart rate. So you can get it up to a certain effort or if you know what your tempo threshold and speed heart rate is, you can do that on the trails, whether it's a hill, a downhill, or a flat park. So yes, I'm going to say everyone should trail run and stay off the road. You know how much harder a trail run is than just a a straight run on the road. I mean, Xterra versus triathlon, uh, you know, road triathlon right then and there. Right. I mean, an Xterra uh, Olympic distance takes up almost the same time as a half Ironman just because of the, the terrain. I mean, gosh, my only Xterra, I've done three uh, off-road exterior triathlons and the uh the biggest one was just as taxing as any half Ironman I've done mm-hmm. just it's harder especially if it's in Maui yeah and I you know just a long a long run normally generally um for most people depending on the phase of training you're you're in a long run the purpose of a long run is to develop strength endurance and resilience in your legs so whether you do it on the road or on the trail, vary it and change things up a little bit. But you're not necessarily substituting the long run in for a trail run. You're just taking the time you would be running on the road, you take it to the trail. Uh, one last question, I think, based on time here. This is from Derek. I'm not sure what he's asking for here. What are essential bike accessories for racing? He's 14 weeks out from his first Ironman and wants to dial in his bike. Essential bike accessories for racing, Wendy. Well, I'm definitely um, not a gear geek. I've never have been. So <laughs> when it comes to racing, a triathlon, obviously, you need a bike. Um, I, a bike and a helmet and, sh- and generally shoes, unless you're going to wear the running shoes and you don't have certain pedals and cleat or certain shoes and cleats that you need. But for the most part, you need a bike, a helmet, 
um, shoes to, to race in, you know, what are some, some other things that are going to help you possibly an aero helmet instead of a regular helmet, possibly, um, racing wheels. For me, I, I only use racing wheels when I'm getting ready for my most important race of the year. Otherwise I will race on my regular, um, wheels that I train on. So it's not necessarily an essential. I think having a Garmin or some sort of bike computer is one of my essentials. I like to know how long I've been out there. I like to know my distance. I like to know my speed, but you can still ride a bike like I used to do back in the day without a bike computer. And then just most people also will have certain water bottle cages. We've already talked about this on other podcasts, whether you have an aero bottle cage or the, on the down tube or a rear bottle cage, you're get, that's an essential to have some sort of thing on your bike that's going to help carry your fluid. Um, something that's also optional is maybe you've heard of a bento box, which is yes. something you put on your top tube that I like to carry food or an extra tube, an extra CO2 cartridge, which brings me to, yes, I think having a, a kit on your bike, a bike bag full of the essential tools you need so you can fix your own flat tire if you get out there. I think that's definitely an essential thing you need. So I'm just thinking he was asking about what does he need race day on his bike to make the most gains. Mm. Okay. Now those, what, do, what do you think? The way you said it, when you started going down that list of these extra things, I don't know how essential, but some of these things are uh, beneficial or bonuses to have. Uh, yeah, some of them are, are super helpful to have. If, uh, whether it's the bike computer, the helmet I can see is not essential, but it's a, a little bonus to have an aero helmet which can help or depends on how much time you're looking to shave off based on your fitness level and how good you are. But the bento yeah, box, how, yeah. and how much, how much money you want to spend. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't need a power meter, but if you're going to race with a power meter, hopefully you've been training with a power meter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard in the past that if you're going to invest in something, it's going to be the wheel set. If you're going to invest in your bike for speed, it's going to be the wheel set for a race, not so much helmet. I mean, you've seen helmets all over the board on styles and people are still going to ride a certain way. If your, their body position is correct, your body position is terrible. It doesn't matter what kind of helmet you're aware, but if you're, you got good wheels and you got a little bit of wind that can be a, can be a, a helpful thing. But I think they have that flat kit. That's important as <laughs> you know, a couple of flat tube, you know, tubes and CO2s yeah. of some kind. Yeah. I think you nailed it. You got it. Oh, we'll be talking about this in the weeks to come. Uh, seven, eight weeks ago, June 6th, I think it was, I ordered uh, a cold plunge. Have you heard of these things? No, just you told me about it. Okay. Uh, a revolutionary cold plunge ice bath. Uh, apparently, this was on Shark Tank. I didn't know it was on Shark Tank, and I was looking into these things anyway, or at least some sort of cold bath process of, you know, ice baths, you know, post recovery and something like that. So I looked into, I found, came across this cold plunge thing and it's, I guess it circulates the water, which makes it a little different and it keeps it colder. And, and anyhow, uh, I ordered one seven weeks ago and I just got the email what was it? Uh, no, during the podcast that says my order oh. is finally leaving the warehouse. I was told eight to 10 weeks. That's how, cause I bought it, you know, almost seven weeks ago or so. So it's leaving the warehouse. It's going to come over here. I'm going to do a, a weekly video 
trying to see how long I can sit in one of these things and how cold I can get and learn about it as much as possible. Nice. But it's going to be something that I also have a discount code for. Um, um, that because I'm a, a customer of one of these things, you can you know kind of help other people. Be, hey, you bought one of these? Tell your friends, and they can get a discount on it. So cool. Uh, when I get one of these, I'll tell you more about it, and I'll, I'll make videos and put it on um, the YouTube channel. So any questions nice. you have, nice. I'm gonna see how long I can last. I, apparently, these ice baths are really cold, and they're people can you know 30 seconds, one minute, you kind of build yourself up. So as I learn, yeah, I'm excited to you. see it. Me too. It's just a big bathtub. It's like a big nice bathtub, but I. I guess it circulates the water, makes it colder, and for the recovery, I got this because I wanted to make sure that I'm as best possible shape for Ironman Arizona in you know three and a half, four months. That's the goal. That's the reason why I got this thing. And what else? Do I, I want to tell you about. Oh, I got a new bike last weekend. A new road bike out of Portland, Oregon. A friend of mine who owns this place called West End Bikes. If you're ever in Portland, Oregon, ask for Joe. He's the best. I went to high school with him. Joe, a uh, cool guy. He's only a year older than I am, so he's 51, 52. He's been cycling since high school. He's the guy back in the <clears> 80s <throat> who was shaving his legs, which we thought was weird back in high school. And he's been racing bikes ever since. And he, uh, he's um, a part owner of this place called West End Bikes, right in the heart of downtown Portland. And uh, helped me get a um, Orbea road bike, an M30. I don't know, the, I don't, don't know much about Orbeas besides... We're the same size, him and I. We're both six feet tall. And I said, I got you a size 55, which is, you know, will fit you. Got me all hooked up. Got disc brakes. Um, and I did a little maiden bike ride there in Portland. And I've ridden it since here at home. And I love it. It's, it's fun to have a more than one bike. I've always just mm -hmm. had a tri bike for 15 years. I had a tri bike. So I finally got a road bike. So Dave's pretty nice, excited. Nice. I got my computers. I got my bicycles. I'm getting a cold plunge here in a week. So. Wendy's preparing for the Ironman World Championship. Oh, yeah, by the way, Ironman World Championship. Wendy, you got the email today. Share the news. Yeah, I just got the email a few minutes before we started the podcast that they're already planning for the 2023 Ironman World Championship as a two-day event, October 14th and October 16th. 12th so and 14th. Gonna, 12th and 14th. So they're going to do the women's on one day, the men's on one day, which I'm a little surprised. I thought they would wait and see how the 2022 split went this year, but they're already planning for 2023, which means they're opening up more slots to for people to qualify since they're splitting up the men's and the women's field. Yeah. And this is something I never knew they did, but they already have 2023 race slot allocation. So you can go and see which races are offering, the, how many slots they're offering at that race. Hmm. I don't know. I've never paid attention to that much, but they have the whole 2023 race slot allocation planned out already. Oh, so normally you'd be able to see, let's say you sign up for a race, you can see how many, there'll be 50 qualifying slots, right? Yeah. Normally you see that. I don't, I don't normally see that, but oh. now you can. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. So yeah, one day is going to be men, one day is going to be women. It's two days divided by a day to rest or get prepared for. So yeah, more people can race more men and more women and you have your own day. And they're keeping it in Hawaii because yes. there was, was talk earlier this year when they had the 2021 world championships in St. George, mm -hmm. there was talk that they may rotate the 140.6 world championship, you know, to different locations like they do the 70.3 championship. But apparently they decided they'd know for sure the 2023 Ironman World Championship is going to be in Hawaii. And based on the email, it sounds like 
that's where it's meant to be and that's where it's going to be for you know future years to come sweet and then they're also we're ta- in that email was talking about the 2023 70.3 world championships in finland yes which i am registered for because i deferred my 2021 world champion 70.3 world championship i deferred that um and my only option for deferral was 2020 2023 in finland so i'm like well i might as well defer it and and you know just have a slot there i'm not sure if i'm going to go or not um and i I say that i'm not sure yet because one of an athlete i coach he's racing in maine 70.3 this weekend in augusta maine and his goal is to qualify so i made a comment oh well if you qualify maybe you'll have to bring your coach (laughs) because i've already qualified (laughs) nice so yeah, that that'll be fun. Wow, that's way to, that's a, that's a good way to cap off the podcast three sixty six. So that's pretty cool. Lots of things to talk about today. A lot of great talk questions, and hopefully some benefits to you on what we shared, and also some discount codes. Sign up for the newsletter; uh, those discounts will be there, and future discounts as well. With that, thanks, Wendy. Have a great week of training, everybody. Uh, whether it's racing, recovery, or training, I got that messed up, didn't I? Thanks for listening. For Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Have a great week of training, racing, and recovery. That's how it goes. We'll see you next time. Adios. Adios. Mm-hmm.